break there, but can anybody tell me those major steps that we considered in, in the history of humanity and where we stood in relation to God and to ourselves? Can you remember what we... There were one, two, three, four major steps. Can you remember where it started? Fear? Fearing? Fearing God? Yeah, we'll, we'll use the fearing God, okay, that initially we all, mankind, seems to realize, have an intuition that there may be something higher, something greater than us. Uh, different religions have come up with different constructs for that. Uh, we believe in the one true living God, uh, and we believe that His divine attributes uh, his power are evident to us, as it says in Romans, his divine nature. And, uh, and so nobody is without excuse for that. But we, we maybe have started out fearing God, but then we very quickly, even in the garden, start forgetting God, right? And, uh, well, did God really say that? And, you know, and hey, you could be like God. You know, what do you need him for? You can be God. All right? And then we move, and, and then kind of coupled with this, really, they kind of go hand in hand, is now you start elevating humanity, right? I think I'm humanity. Did I get it? <laughs> Scribbling fast here. Um, and, uh, and the whole idea of, you know, we become godlets, if you will. And then what's the last one? Eliminating. eliminating humanity, right? And we see that in the transhumanism movement as uh, people are trying to move past, transcend, transform humans to move past our limitations be it our cognition, be it our aging, whatever it is, make us better, take us to the next evolutionary step using technology like AI and implants in our, in our heads and in our brains and things like that. Or the anti-humanists that say, hey, let's just get rid of us all because we're a net negative on the, on the universe, on the world. We're destroying the ecology, climate change, whatever it is, and we, we'd be better off without humans. Let nature have its course and, and get us out of the picture. Okay, now I want you to read. Um, we're going to go to Genesis again. And. In Genesis 2, verse 17, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of a certain tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you shall not eat, verse 17, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that was, that was the marker. They're going to die. Now we know after the fact that that didn't mean physical death immediately. It did mean physical death eventually for all of us, but it certainly meant spiritual death immediately for all of us, right? But did Satan know that? That it wasn't going to be an immediate death? Okay. What does the Bible tell us about Satan? That he seeks to devour us. He wants to kill us, does he not? Okay, and I think that was his objective right up front in the garden was to get us to forget God, eat that tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil, and he's thinking they're going to die. They're no longer a competitor, they're no longer a rival, this so-called special creation. He said they're very good. Wait a minute. You know, I want to be God, Satan says to himself, right? We learn about that through the scriptures. So his goal back at the beginning as he got man to forget God was to kill man. And look 
where we are right now in our culture, where people are going. We're trying to do Satan's bidding at the outset. Now, we know he's not going to be successful, right? God wins. But that's where Satan wants us to be, and that's where we're heading. That's why I do believe, you know, hey, the, the more we go down this path, the, clearly the closer we're getting to the final judgment. <laughs> and God's going to put an end to that because Satan is not going to be able to eliminate humanity. Humanity is not going to be able to eliminate humanity. We will try our darndest, but it ain't going to happen that way. Okay? So that's a quick recap of what we talked about last week. But we also mentioned that uh, God has put eternity in our hearts. Uh, he's given us that intuition. We've seen, we see the divine attributes and power of God, the divine nature and power of God in the, in the creation around us. So we have a sense that there is a God, but who is this God? So we're going to spend our time today looking at that. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the goals I have in this course is found in Philippians 1.9 where we would learn more, we would think more about the faith such that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, okay? So that's the objective. Now, this is going to be a more upbeat session than last session. I'll give you a fair warning. Next week's the worst of it <laughs> as we consider man and we're worse than we think. But today's a great day. Today's a great day as we contemplate God. So I do hope to leave you awestruck by Him. Now, my assumption is, and we don't have time to go into it, that, that we're not atheists in here. We already have a fundamental belief in God, at least. Uh, so I don't have to convince you of His, uh, of his existence. So we're not going to get into that kind of apologetic effort here. So we're going to just assume uh, we all know and believe there is a God. But who is this God of whom we speak, okay? Well, this God is the God of King David, who in Psalm 145.3 said, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Now, now, what's David telling us about God? He's great. <laughs> There's a greatness there that's beyond our comprehension. It's unsearchable. Again, God is greater than we can think. Okay? So, but David does know this about God, that he is great, and his greatness is unsearchable, and he should be, as a result, praised, greatly praised, okay? Now, I'm going to kick this off with a, a question for you here. Um, don't look yet. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, A.W. Tozer was a preacher back in... Uh, the early and middle part of the last century, and uh, well-known, written a number of uh, important books like The Knowledge of the Holy, great little book. If you want a book that talks about the attributes of God, it's not going to weigh you down, uh, not going to take you months to read. <laughs> uh, that's a wonderful little book about the attributes of God. And A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, okay? So what we think about God is critical. It's highly important. It's the most important thing about us, according to A.W. Tozer. He says this is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, okay? Does that sound right? Does that sound good and true? Absolutely. Absolutely, it does, doesn't it? But, <laughs> but, is it 
there's C.S. Lewis who said, there we go. Um, he said, now this is written some 20 years before Tozer wrote this. But what Tozer said here was something commonly said by many before him. Okay, the idea that the most important thing about us is that we, uh, is what we think about God. But C.S. Lewis came along in 1941 and said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. He said, I read this or something like this. Okay. By God himself, it is not. What? C.S. <laughs> how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. Is he right? Is Tozer wrong? Tina. Well, instead of I'm sitting here going back and forth, it, aren't we supposed to think of his actions and his attributes and him unchanging? But our minds can always change. We can always think something about mm -hmm. one minute, one, and the next minute something else. But he's never changing. So aren't we supposed to always go toward what he thinks of us as ever? We're never, he's never changing, so he wouldn't change his idea of what he thinks of us, where we could change our idea of what we think of him. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. But it is important that we do think rightly about God. And where do we do that? Where do we find that? We find that in the scriptures, right? So it is important what we think of God. Uh, but it's also important what God thinks of us, that we understand that. Next week, <laughs> we're going to learn a lot about what God thinks of us, okay? As we think about we're worse than we think. All right, but my answer is, who's right? They're both right. They're both right, okay? Somebody read John 17, 3, if you could, please. And somebody look up uh, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, okay? So, does somebody have uh, the John passage? And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay. What did he just say? What did Jesus just say? This is important, that you know him, right? But let's look at Matthew 7. Uh, 21 through 23. Who has that? Brevin? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Read that last uh, verse again. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I don't want God to ever say he doesn't know me. <laughs> it is important what God knows about us. Are we merely a depraved sinner or are we a child redeemed by his son? What God knows about us is infinitely important. What we know about God is infinitely important. Don't forget that. Both are true. So while it appears they're objecting, I, I, I doubt Lewis would be too upset to realize or understand or disagrees with, with uh, Tozer about the importance of knowing God rightly. Okay, But it's important that we understand how God sees us too. True? Any questions about that? I think it's, yeah, I think it's important. Uh, both of those are true. In Matthew 17, 21 through 23, it's clearly stating that we can't work for our salvation. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus doesn't know them, because they were looking at their works 
Amen. Where in John 17, 3, you see that it's life eternal because it's a free gift of God because um, we wouldn't have any thoughts of God unless God re revealed himself to us and mm. drew us to himself yep. according to other scriptures in the Bible. So that's what I see in both of them is that it's eternal life with Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Mm -hmm. And in 7, 21 through 23, it's a clear indication that those who think they're going to go to heaven are no God based on the good works or the works that they're doing. Mm -hmm. It goes right back to the man who says, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner, yeah. as opposed to the person who said, I'm glad I'm not like those other people. Yeah. yeah. Amen, Ed. Amen. Good point. So both are right. I'll give you a couple statistics from that uh, survey that came from uh, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway, the 2022 State of Theology Survey. So uh, here's a couple points about God that come out of that survey. It says 92%, this is of evangelicals, 92% of evangelicals strongly agree or somewhat agree that there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Hey, that's pretty good. I mean, there's 8% that are pretty darn confused, but 92%, that's pretty good. Oh, but then the next stat. 58% strongly agree or somewhat agree that, quote, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 60%, 6 out of 10 evangelicals respond positively to that. Okay. Now, I dare say they know something about God. That's what that 92% said. But there's some serious things that they're missing about God, okay? And so that's another example of why we need to really pay close attention to God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the soul of man as a devout, earnest continuation or continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. I'll share a little uh, anecdote from my life. And uh, so I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. I had just moved to St. Louis. Uh, I had a, a scientific bent to my mind, and, and I wanted to prove everything. You know, well, this must be how the Red Sea was parted, for example. You know, and, and that was the way my mind worked, and I was trying to sort all that out and, and keep it in concert with the Scriptures and, and God's truth. And at some point, I finally had to realize, well, He is God. And I guess he can do anything he wants, however he wants. And I just submitted myself to the word and to the truth and uh, submitted myself to Christ at age 20, right after I'd moved to St. Louis. And, uh, and so, but when my faith really took off was, that was in 78, so I would say it was about 1990, I started going to Covenant Theological Seminary. And uh, I had just felt the Lord doing something in my life. I didn't know whether that meant that I was going to be a pastor one day or what. But uh, as it turned out, that wasn't his plan for me. And, uh, and I think I'm doing what he did plan for me, being right here helping you all. I hope I'm helping you all. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, uh, that very first course I had at Covenant was called God and Man. And it was taught by Professor Robert Peterson, one of my favorite professors there. He was just amazing. And the first half of that course, the first many weeks, was focused on God and His attributes. I was blown away. And I always thought, why haven't I learned this in church? <laughs> and I was in a good church but we didn't go deep like this class went deep to study who God is. And I'm learning about his attributes, about what I like to refer to as his perfections. And, uh, and I would leave that class at night 
feeling as if I'd been to an academic worship service. And I was just so full of awe over who God is. And I would get in the car and I would just pray to the Lord and praise God for who He is. It was just stunning to me. And I think I am very grateful we are in a church where that is brought to the fore in the preaching and the teaching around here, I believe. And, uh, and it, is, it is not to be taken lightly, okay? Because that really, I can look back and think that's when my faith really took off, was when I began to appreciate more who God is. So I hope in a small taste in today's class, maybe you'll feel a little bit of that and maybe want to even dive deeper to learn more about him because it's, it's, it's a, a bottomless well of, of glorious knowledge and truth, okay? Awesome. So um, I'm going to open uh, the study really with some words from Isaiah, Isaiah 40. You'll turn to Isaiah and just look along with me. We're not going to read the whole thing here. Uh, Isaiah 40, we're going to kind of look, zero in on verses 9 through 31. I don't have time to read all of this, but uh, I will start with verse 9, though. And uh, we read, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of, Je of Judah, Behold your God. I love those words. Behold your God. When we open this book and we start to read about God, I hope you just have that kind of a reaction. Behold your God. Verse 10, Behold the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. So already we're learning about this God that he is mighty, he's omnipotent, he's sovereign, and he's loving and caring. Wow, you know, sometimes we don't want to connect those two things. We think of mighty, strong, powerful leaders, and we don't think of them so much as loving and caring, but here we see those sandwiched right together, okay, about God. And on and on it goes in this passage, just jumping to Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and goes on talking about his creation. Who has met, verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel. You can't measure God. He is infinite. Okay. He's all wise. What man shows him his counsel? On and on we go here. Uh, who taught him the path of justice down in 14 and taught him knowledge? So he's all just, he's omniscient. Um, it, you know, it goes on and on. Verse 18, we'll talk a little bit about this later. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? I think that talks to what's called the aseity of God, and we'll, we'll touch on that later. Um, but on and on it goes. I love verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So, dear grasshoppers, <laughs> pay close attention today. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm surprised young people like you got that. <laughs> I thought only the oldsters would get that. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's just a magnificent passage. And, and I, I encourage you with some homework, if you will. You're not going to be 
graded on this or anything. <laughs> but take this, take Isaiah 40 as some homework and just go back and read this. What he has to say, the, 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 this vision of God that we have presented to us here in 40 and see how many different times you can count up an attribute, a perfection of God in this passage. It's just magnificent. So, before we ourselves behold God, I do want to help uh, frame our attempt to do so, okay? And to do that, I'm going to say, first off, God is knowable, but He cannot be known comprehensively. Remember that unsearchable part? Okay, we can't know Him altogether. Uh, we can't know Him comprehensively. Uh, we can know Him, but He's going to be beyond us. Why is that? Well, first off, and I think this might be the first blank in your, your, your handout, discontinuity. Okay, God is not a man. When we do this business about elevating humanity and forgetting God, what we often do is flip things around and we view God as maybe, at best, a greater man. Okay, governed by our same urges and emotions and and thoughts, and, and sense of justice, and, and whatever it is. And we turn God, uh, we, we make God man-like, and we make man God-like. Okay? Jeremiah 10.6 says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Over and over again in the scriptures, we read that there is no one like God. Uh, Job in 9.32 said, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him. Um, so there is this creator, creature distinction, okay? Uh, we have to keep that in mind. We're different in kind, not just in degree. He's, like I said, he's not just a greater man. We're not just lesser gods. He's greater in kind, not just degree. Calvin said, Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. And indeed, I think that's key. I heard D.A. Carson, uh, one of the great theologians over the last 50 years or so, I heard him say uh, that when he goes to colleges, Maybe I said this last week, I can't remember. When he goes to colleges and speaks to, to students, he doesn't start with sin because they have no idea of sin. Everything goes today. There's no concept of sin. He starts with God. And this is why. Because we're not going to be affected or touched by the awareness of our lowly estate until we're compared with God's majesty till we begin to see a picture of who God is, okay? When we see Him in His holiness, we'll start to understand our unholiness. So the next uh, point, why, is besides discontinuity, is accommodation, all right? That's the next word, I think, on your, your, your uh, handout. God the infinite is communicating to man the finite. Uh, R.C. Sproul put it this way. I like the way he says this. God is not man. God does not speak to us in his language. He speaks to us in ours. And because he speaks to us in the only language we can understand, we are able to grasp it. In other words, all biblical language is anthropomorphic and all language about God is anthropomorphic. Big word. Uh, what does that mean? It means the attribution of human characteristics to a god, uh, to uh, 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 an animal, to an object, okay? Uh, so when we refer to God's right hand, or we see the Bible refer to God's right hand, does God have a right hand? He's spirit, okay? But to help us understand 
His power, for example, His authority. The Bible uses anthropomorphic language like the right hand of God. Okay? When God breathed into the dust to create man, are we to picture, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, what, what is that called when you're, uh, I just drew a, yeah, <laughs> resuscitating uh, uh, the dirt, you know. Uh, well, there's another word for that. What is that when you're, somebody's. Uh, CPR. CPR, there we go. <laughs> I could not remember that for nothing. So, now Courtney, aren't you a nurse? Or am I, I got you confused with one. Lauren's a nurse, that's right, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you let me down. <laughs> you're, you're fine, you're fine, you're not a nurse, so. <laughs> But uh, so, um, but that's not what we're to picture. You know, he's not down there, you know, puffing air into, into, into the dirt like that. So accommodation. Calvin said this, and I really like this. He said, uh, God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. You know how we talk to little babies? You know, we kind of go, 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 we get a high pitched and we kind of talk in little mumbly, funny little words and all your little goody, 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 goody. <laughs> and uh, Diane, you know all about that, right? Taking care of all those little ones in the nursery. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in essence, God, that's what Calvin's saying. He has to lisp. He has to, he has to bring himself down in some way to communicate to us because how's he going to communicate the infinite to the finite, okay? The third way in which we cannot know God comprehensively is idolatry. We are prone to making substitute gods or trying to make God in our image. Uh, we've talked about that. In Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, one of the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. Um, Acts 17.29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. No, no, we cannot do that. Idolatry is serious business. Uh, Tozer said it this way to emphasize the seriousness. He said, among the sins to which the human heart is prone, hardly any other is more hateful to God than idolatry. For idolatry is at bottom a libel on his character. The idolatrous heart assumes that God is other than he is. In itself, a monstrous sin. And substitutes for the true God, one made after its own likeness. Okay? Lastly, uh, we must, must recognize uh, the necessity of humility, okay? We can only understand or describe him partially, right? We're never going to get all the way there. We can be faithful in describing him as long as we're grounded in this word right here, okay? But when we start to depart, when we start to invent other gods, uh, we're going to have problems. Um, Augustine, I always like this, he said, if you understand God, what you understand isn't God. Now, he means that, you know, if, if you understand God, if you think you understand Him perfectly, comprehensively, no, you don't. Okay, as I put it, God is greater than we think. Gregory the Great, a 6th century pope, I'm not talking about rich, okay? <laughs> he was a 6th century pope, although I do think he's pretty great. Um, Calvin called him the last good pope, so uh, sometimes we can find good information even from, um, uh, from men like uh, Augustine or Gregory the Great. But he said this uh, in reference to uh, God, stammering, we echo the heights of God as best as we can. So I like the image from Calvin who said, God lisps 
goo 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 to us, and we uh, 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 stammer to try and explain God, okay? To try and understand God. I think that captures well the limitations that we have, okay? So, let's uh, consider how well we can stammer on here. I'll stammer on anyway about uh, God's attributes. So, let me uh, just quiz you a little bit here and ask you to name a few attributes, okay? You've already heard of a few of them this morning, but uh, throw out some attributes of God. I didn't hear? Faithful. Faithful. He's faithful. Okay. Wrath. Wrath. Or we might say just. How's that? Omniscient. Omniscient. How about some others? Holy. Holy. Was that you, Deanna? Okay. All right. Eternal. I was hoping somebody would hit that one. <laughs> Eternal. Eternal. Absolutely. Impassable. Impassable. Brevin just threw out a, a great theological term there. We'll try and touch on it. <laughs> Merciful. Jealous. Jealous. Okay. One we stated earlier, Pesaity. Pesaity. Simplicity. Uh -huh. These are some other theological terms. And you have a resource in front of you where you'll have a little definition for these things, okay? Omnipresent. Omnipresent, okay. And I think we'll stop there. Good job, guys. You did well. So, now, is there one attribute that you think stands out when we think about God? Holy. Kelly? Holy. Holy. Any others? Everybody's going to buy off on holy? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> the last class I had had more uh, ideas. I think you preempted everybody else. Once they heard holy, that was it. Uh, you know. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, can somebody turn to Isaiah, or all of us, let's all turn to Isaiah 6. You knew I had to go there. Isaiah 6. And uh, I'll read this to us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay? And Isaiah reacts... Uh, uh, in a significant way, woe is me, I am lost, he falls on his face. I mean, he just uh, understands uh, he is a sinner, a man of unclean lips, when he encounters the one true living, holy, holy, holy God. And we see that attribute, that perfection of God, repeated three times here, and we also see it in Revelation in the throne room of God. So many theologians pick holy. This, this you know, schlub here picks holy too. <laughs> okay. Uh, some will pick sovereignty. 
which isn't a bad one, okay? But uh, some don't want to pick anyone. But uh, I think it's, it's fair to pick holiness uh, as, um, uh, as a chief attribute or sort of an umbrella attribute. And that's what we'll see here as, as we go on. Um, so our starting point uh, is God's holiness. And Isaiah refers to God as the Holy One 26 times in his book. Okay. A.W. Tozer says in the knowledge of the holy, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. Okay, I get it, A.W. <laughs> the natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Okay? Uh, Joe, uh, John Owen, the great uh, Puritan theologian, said uh, that holiness was, in, was really the essence of God himself. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to have to... Looking at the clock, yeah, I'm going to have to move on a little bit quicker, more quickly here. Do I have any blanks that you're missing yet? <laughs> I don't think you have any there yet. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up a chart. I'm not going to get to those. So here is, uh, I'm going to go with Bruce Scheidhauer's definition of, of uh, of holiness, okay? So God is holy, holy, holy. We see that in Isaiah and Revelation. And so here is the definition with a diagram supporting that. God's holiness is the fullness and excellence of his transcendent perfections. So he has them in full. They are perfect in, in the perfections are perfect if you will. They're transcendent. They're above us. They're above anything we can attain. So the, God's holiness is the fullness and excellence of his transcendent perfections as displayed in the various properties of his incomparable majesty, purity, and authority. Okay? So at the core of God is his holiness on this diagram. And we have his majesty, which refers to his existential perfections, who he is in and of himself, okay? We have his purity, which refers to his moral perfections, the justice, okay? The love, okay? And we have the authority or, or the perfection, the presiding perfections, as he presides over his creation, as he rules over, as he sovereignly cares for his creation. Okay? And we have some references here in the Psalms for that. And so let me flesh that out a little bit here. So I'll call these the tripartite. That just means in three holy perfections. And... As I said, there's, there's various properties under each of these, and we'll look at those very briefly this morning. But His Majesty highlights God's transcendent existential perfections. The point is, God is absolutely glorious. In and of Himself, He's just glorious. He is incomparably higher than us in all ways. Purity highlights God's transcendent moral perfections. God is absolutely righteous. There is no sin in God. Everything He is, everything He does, is righteous. He is incomparably better than us in all ways. And then His authority. That highlights His transcendent, transcendent supreme presiding perfections. God is absolutely Lord of all. We are not Lord of anything. <laughs> he is. 
He is incomparably stronger than us in all ways. So that's my definition for God's holiness as a, as a, as a, a heading, if you will, for studying his attributes, okay? And we'll look into each one of these briefly here in a moment. So Tozer again, from the knowledge of the holy, I think I already read that to you, didn't I? Okay, all right. I think that's the last of those charts, so I'm gonna to have to get rid of this. I'm gonna open up something else. Where is it? There it is. Okay, you have in front of you, if you picked it up, a matrix uh, on God's attributes. We are clearly not going to be able to cover all of these today. <laughs> We don't have time. Remember, Chesley and I spent 12, 13, 14 weeks, whatever it was. <laughs> um, and uh, I've got one day, and now I'm down to about 17 minutes. <laughs> I can't even hit 17. I, I, I could only hit 17 if I did, you know, one a, a minute. But uh, so it kind of encapsulates, uh, you know, the idea of beholding your God um, and, and what Tozer had to say. Here's the definition for God is holy. That's, that's the pinnacle. That's, that's the overarching uh, uh, perfection in his majesty, purity, and authority. A lot of scriptural references. And what I want to suggest to you is a, 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 a dear brother here in the church uh, who attended this class once before, he took this chart and he started using this for devotionals. He would go and he said, I just want to learn more. And so he would take, uh, you know, every morning a various uh, attribute, see what that definition was, go to the passages and consider that or go wherever else he could go. And so um, that might be something you want to do with this to really take yourselves deep into the heart of who God is. All right, because we're not going to be able to cover it all together here. All right. So, um, but that's what this chart looks like. Uh, it, uh, it, it covers his majesty there in green, his purity, various attributes in blue, and then down there in purple, uh, his authority, okay? And uh, I like this quote at the end from Job. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I hope if you go through this, you'll end there. <laughs> All right. Yes, Christian. Two questions about your chart. Yes, sir. The first one is, are the bullet points, can you explain the use of the bullet points? Okay. So when I think of aseity, Okay, God is from himself and of himself and not contingent or dependent on or needful of anything. He distinctly, independently, fully, perfectly, and eternally is. He is, as he said, I am. All right? Now, these are, in essence, I think, uh, think of them as sort of sub-attributes, sub-perfections of what that means, him as I am. That means he's self-existent. It means he's self-sufficient too. So I'm just trying to expand that out, give a little more definition to it. What do those mean? So he's infinite. What does that mean? Well, he's eternal, timeless, but he's also omnipresent, isn't he? He's infinitely everywhere at once, at the same time. Now, that boggles the mind if you start to think about it. So that's what some of those bullets mean. They're, they're sort of a little bit subordinate to that, that okay. overarching. Does that help? It does. And, and then my second question is, if you take, take out the bullets, uh -huh. you're left with a subset. Is, that, is this list like, I don't know, I'm going to call it official. Is this like something that <laughs> NCC believes is the list of attributes, or is it talk to somebody else and they may have a slightly different list. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Sure. So if you go to Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, 
If you go to R.C. Sproul's uh, Knowing God, if you go to any systematic theology book, you're going to find different lists. You know, I mentioned earlier, some theologians say holiness is this overarching. Uh, others say, like John Frame, I think he says sovereignty. All right. Um, so this is my list, but it's informed by many others, and it has been run through the other elders. They've had a chance to see it. Nobody's quibbled with anything. I mean, any one of us could potentially say, okay, um, maybe his omniscience or his, his omnisapience, his being all wise, maybe that belongs down there in purity. Okay, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> this is my best attempt to take what I was reading across many different books in many different ways of slicing and dicing and categorizing his attributes. And what, where I came down was I decided on majesty, purity, and authority as kind of overarching ways to capture various attributes, various properties of his majesty of his authority. So, no, it's, it, it's mine, but it's, 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 it's seeded, it's, it's grown through the, the, the inputs of many others, okay? But I, 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 you know, I don't think you will find in any of those books a disagreement with how I've defined these. I don't think so. If anybody's going to find it, Chesley's going to find it because he'll, he'll, he'll keep me honest. <laughs> keep it quiet, brother. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think that we could only know what God reveals about himself in his word. Uh -huh. You're citing the God's word and categorizing them as such. That's all we can do. Mm -hmm. um, you can't presuppose or suppose uh -huh. on God. Because that will take us out of the realm of reality. Uh huh. Right. And so consequently, all of what you stated there is biblical, and I believe accurate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I've tried to do is add scriptural backing for that attribute. Did I see another hand, Diane? Would we ever be able to write down all his attributes anyway? Probably not. <laughs> Yes, yes. Please don't think of this as official NCC <laughs> attribute list for God. This is my attempt to, to, to be honest, to first help me. Because <laughs> I'm reading all these different guys down through the years, and, and they all kind of have a different way. And this is what I mean about thinking through our faith, okay? This is going to be the foundation for all of our thinking. But there's a lot of wonderful thinkers through the ages. John Owen I mentioned, John Calvin I mentioned, A.W. Tozer, you know, who have thought deeply and they've come up with ways to kind of capture what the Bible teaches and use words that we can comprehend and give definitions that make sense of what the scriptures say about God. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything differently than those guys did. It's just, for my mind, and, and Diane caught this earlier, <laughs> I, I come out of an engineering world, <laughs> and this helps me to, to sort through and, and categorize and, and, and make sense of it. Okay, and I hope it makes sense to you. The bottom line is, this is how I define holiness. And his attributes, whether I've put one in the category of majesty or it should have been in sovereignty or whatever, I, you know, I, I'm not going to fight you on that. You want to make redo the list, but just make sure you don't redo the definitions. Not that my definitions are perfect, but, you know, I, I mean, you can put it in your own words, but make sure whatever definition or whatever attribute you have is backed up by the scriptures. That's what matters right here. Okay? This is just a way to help us understand and comprehend it. All right? Chesley. And an understanding of God as he reveals himself impacts our worship. Because yes. Jesus said, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Correct. 
And so to better understand him, we have to know what the word of God says mm -hmm. so as we can worship him in truth. Right. Amen. Ed, did you have a comment? Yeah, coming from the point of, of, um, of conversion, uh -huh. is that you don't have to understand everything or know, you don't have to know anything to be saved. Mm -hmm. It's not based well, on... The, well, I'm not going to say, say anything. Let me finish. When I received Jesus into my heart, as you know, I couldn't read. Uh -huh. So it was like I received Jesus in my heart, and he totally changed my life like that. Uh -huh. Okay? All the drugs, gone. All the sex stuff, gone. All the um, other things were gone. Mm -hmm. and things still need to be worked. But anyway, I did not know in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, mm -hmm. I knew, I heard 5, 8 from the pulpit a lot, uh -huh. you know, while we were still sitting. But in Romans 5, 5, it says, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts mm -hmm. through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, I did not know that verse when I received Christ mm -hmm. and um, that evening, and then the next day I go out, I got this waving to some person uh -huh. walking down the street. I mean, there was this love in my heart. Right. Now, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Uh -huh. I just knew that God had changed my life, and there was this love and this peace in my heart before ever reading uh -huh. about it in the Word of God. Uh -huh. So I just wanted to clarify that, 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 um, that the um, that God he, we're not going to be able to intellectually um, we're not going to be able to know I, I don't know how to say it I just know that's what happened to me that I couldn't I couldn't read uh -huh. so it was just that God was giving me these mm -hmm. things in my heart uh -huh. and then I was finding out that they were true because they were in his word. Right. Does that make sense? Amen, Ed. And I'm, I'm grateful for what you're saying because this may seem daunting, okay? I mean, this took me many hours, <laughs> many days to kind of pull this together. And, and, and I enjoyed this, okay? That's true. Not that's necessarily true. all of you will enjoy it or think in the kinds of ways I think and do this kind of a thing. That's okay. Because the faith, as Ed's pointing out, is, as simple, is simple enough for a child to comprehend. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and fundamentally, the, the, the ways that I've framed this in terms of God is greater than we think, ah, I got it. I don't need to know every one of these things to understand that. We're worse than we think. I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need. Okay. And what do I need? I need His grace. And grace is more amazing than we think. And so as you go down the line, I mean, that's that simple, the faith, okay? But God doesn't want us to remain a child drinking only mother's milk, Amen. okay? Amen. He wants to give us meat. I'm giving you some meat here, I hope. And... Man, chew on this stuff because what it will do, and Ed, I'm sure you can attest, while you started out with a childlike faith, that faith is grown and mushroomed from the Word, the Word right here, and, and, and as you learn more about God, it, it just thrills your soul and it grows you in the faith. So it, you start out, we all start out like a child. I just finally said, okay, God, I submit to you. You know, and then it was 12 years later when I really started to get into this kind of stuff and, and, and was just blown away. And my love for him, my awe for him grew, but my love for him grew too. Because once you start to understand who he is and the idea that he would care for me, a lousy little grasshopper, <laughs> you know, Wow. He really does love me, you know, what Jesus did for me. So, 
Learning about the attributes of God and, and, and that is, is all to the benefit for you, okay? You don't need to understand every one of these things to come to Christ. Thank you, Ed, for that, that, uh, that uh, caveat, <laughs> okay? So let's see. I've only got a couple minutes here, and so I better move on. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be able to go into this as much as I'd hope to, uh, every class is a little different. But uh, so let's look at the takeaways here. And I think those are your last uh, bullets on your, your chart to, uh, or your handout. So growing in the knowledge of God and recognizing that God is greater than we think leads to one, humility. And humility in three respects. Understanding you will never understand everything about God. Two, understanding you will never understand everything about God's works. You know, we start talking about things like election, and we'll look at that next week. Ugh, how, do I, how do I get my head around some of this stuff? Understanding you will never understand everything about God's ways. Oh, think about the the awful things that befall people. Why? Why did that happen? How did that happen? Well, I love, I, I, um, I, I, I don't want to say it's my favorite passage, but it is certainly up there. Uh, Romans eleven thirty three through 36, the Apostle Paul said, oh, the depth, he broke out on the doxology after covering all this great theology about God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I love that. The next one is submission. Submission to a holy God who is incomparable in his majesty, purity, and authority. If you can't submit to this God, you're not going to submit to anybody. <laughs> How can you not submit to this God? Peter said, uh, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We will be exalted by him at the proper time. But in the meanwhile, humble yourselves. Comfort in knowing he's not like us. I'm really glad he's not like me. <laughs> uh, and no offense, but I'm glad he's not like you either. <laughs> um, Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Rest. Rest in knowing his ways are higher than ours. Okay? Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Peace. Peace in knowing he is steadfast. His nature is stable. His character is steadfast. His emotions are stable. Talk about impassibility, Brevin. His love is steadfast. The term steadfast love is used 191 times in the ESV translation for the for a translation of the word hesed. I like that because it does it consistently and it just jumps off the page as you read through the Old Testament. His plan is stable. His promises are stable. Love in knowing him more intimately. Uh, Jesus told us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I hope this is food for your mind. To love God. It's not just to, you know, fill your tummy. It's to fill your heart with love for God, okay? Awe, 
in knowing He is greater than everything. Psalm 33, 8 said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Amen. Amen. And lastly, worship in knowing Him for who He is in spirit and truth, to Chesley's point earlier. Um, what if we can't get our heads around God's greatness? Uh, let me uh, share a, a quote from John Calvin in his Institutes. As Augustine teaches elsewhere, because disheartened by his greatness, we cannot grasp him. We ought to gaze upon his works that we may be restored by his goodness. Knowledge of this sort, then, ought not only to arouse to the worship of God, but also to awaken and encourage us to the hope of the future life. So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in the future, in the fourth class. Because the third class next week, fair warning, uh, it's going to be bleak next week. Won't be as exciting as this week. <laughs> yes, Christian. Good question on the first bullet about humility and three respects. Uh huh. So we can never understand how God works, His ways, About God. We will never fully understand God. We won't fully understand His works or His ways. Okay? All right. Um, so. To, to paraphrase Pastor Rich, as he always says at the end of the sermon, go in grace, I'm going to say, go in awe. Okay? <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Love y'all. <laughs>